One of the things we're doing today is uh, usually I preach a series in sequence, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, but I'm going to preach a little bit out of sequence because I wanted to really give a message and a call to uh, sort of evangelism to invite people to the fall festival on November 5th from 5 to 8. This is our big party. It's our big bridge event. Uh, we're putting a lot of effort, a lot of things going into it, and so I'm actually going to preach message 10. So if, it, if you're like, man, this feels like the end of the series. Well, normally it would be. We're actually going to go back to uh, 8 and eight and 9 uh, in the next couple of weeks, 7, 8, and 9. But uh, we're going to do 10 now just in the sort of the effort of trying to get the word out and begin inviting people to church. Amen? Is that good? <laughs> when I do this, you're supposed to at least give me a courtesy something, okay? You know. <laughs> All right, Heavenly Father, as we open up the Bible, I pray you would open up our hearts even if there's just one thing that is for us this morning, that you would let that churn and burn in our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. If you wanted to get the word out about something, what would you do? What would you do? You, 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 want, you want to spread the word. You, you, you've got something to say. You've got a message. You've got an event. You've got a party. You've got whatever. What would you do to get the word out? Okay? Some of us, we would do what? Based social media, right? That's social media is cheap and free, right? Uh, signs, yeah. Uh, signs in the sky, signs in the yard, signs of billboards, you know, right? What else? Ads in the newspaper, that would work. Uh, radio, television, right? Those are, uh, they make big money off basically telling people about stuff, all right? Uh, what else would we do? I mean, just, you know, we're missing the most obvious cheap and free one. Call people, right? Word of mouth, get on the telephone, start emailing and things like that, you know. But really, if you wanted, to, if you had a message and you really wanted to get it around the world in the quickest amount of time, what would be the best way to do it? Let's go to the next slide. After that one, you'd hire the Coca-Cola company. Wait a minute. You go, what? What does this have to do with anything? No, no. Listen to this. The Coca-Cola company, 97% of the entire world has heard of Coca-Cola. More people in the world have heard of Coca-Cola than they've heard of Jesus. 72% of the world, 72% of the entire world has seen a can of Coca-Cola. 51%, one out of every two human beings on earth has tasted Coca-Cola. And here's the caveat. Coke has been around for only a little more than 100 years. In 100 years, 97% of people know about Coca-Cola. If God had given the task of world evangelism to the Coca-Cola company, let's face it, it would have been done by now. So today, I want to talk a little bit about spreading the word, being a little bit of the Coca-Cola company for the kingdom of God. Amen? Uh, so the scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 28, 
verses 16 to 20. And although this is common scripture we go to, this morning I hope you'll see some things maybe you haven't seen before. Let's read together. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Those three words are crucial. We so often skip it. Preachers don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to go there. We don't want to, you know, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's sitting with his 12, well, 11 now, apostles. And some of them still doubt. And Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Having risen from the dead, Jesus meets his disciples at, it's just called the mountain in Galilee. And what follows is really almost comical if you think about it. These 11 men are the closest friends that Jesus has on earth. They have followed him through thick and thin, and now Jesus is going to leave them. If you're going to have a conversation with Jesus at this point, it probably would have went something like this. Now, Jesus, how are you going to spread the word about yourself? I mean, this whole no condemnation, not forsaken, never abandoned thing, this is good news. How are you going to spread that? Jesus says, well, I got 11 men. That's it? I thought you had 12. I did, but he betrayed me. Are these men sold out to the cause? Well, some are, but some are still doubting. Wait, Jesus, how are you going to overcome the ones that are still doubting? I'm going to send them to talk, talk about me in my name. Even though they have doubt, that's right, because doubts disappear when you're making disciples. Doubts disappear when you're making disciples. It's probably been several weeks now since the resurrection, and some of Jesus' best men still doubt him. What does that mean? They are not really sure that it's totally him. They're not totally sure that it's really him. I <laughs> mix that sentence up. They're not totally sure that it's really him. They're not totally sure about his message. They're not totally sure that they can operate on faith. And what Jesus is asking of them is going to take them out of their comfort zone. Let's face it, all of us have a comfort zone. All of us have a way of life that we would like to have. It's the path of least resistance where we don't bother anybody and nobody bothers us and we just eat, drink, and we're happy, right? That's their, amen, you know, that is a, a, a comfort zone that almost, every, that's not just an American thing, that's a human thing, right? Everybody just wants sort of this path of least resistance. And now Jesus is challenging this comfort zone by saying, I want you to go out there and tell people about me. The disciples are thinking, Jesus, when you told people about yourself, they killed you. What do you think they're going to do to us? Doubt often begins 
when we are being asked to do something out of our comfort zone. It's easy to say, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian, and Jesus all the way, and then ask somebody to go share their faith, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if we're going to go that far, you know. It's doubts, just, you know, I, you know, let's not get too carried away with this thing, Tom, you know. Let's get practical here. But the fact of the matter is, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying, go and talk to others about me. Go and minister in my name. Go and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Now, shouldn't we talk about these doubts? You ever notice that? The disciples have doubts, and Jesus doesn't do anything about it. Now, if you were to come and say, you know, Tom, this fall festival thing. So, yeah, I have some doubts about it, you know. I'll tell you what I would do. We would sit down and until I convinced you, let's do it. Let's invite everybody and let's show our community a good time and show them that Christian people aren't weird. Well, we are, but, you know, we don't have to tell them that right away, right? <laughs> you, know? you know, I'd sit down and try to dispel all of those doubts. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, nope. Just go, talk, just go talk to people about me. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of what is the easiest and aim for the best. Get out of the path of least resistance and go walk and talk to somebody about me in faith and see what happens. And so that's what they did. Despite their doubts, 10 of these 11 men would end up martyrs for Jesus. They would be killed for their faith. And by the way, the 11th man uh, died an old age in prison. So we know he wasn't the guy. So of those 10 that actually died for their witness for Jesus, some of those were the doubters that were there on the mountain that day. How did this happen? Because they took a step of faith to talk to people about Jesus. I remember when I was a kid, I really used to like to ride four-wheelers. Actually, when I was a kid, they were three-wheelers. And, uh, and three-wheelers and four-wheelers. And one time I was riding with uh, my, my best friend when I was a little kid. He had some four-wheelers, and so we would go riding. And, and the Michigan rivers aren't like the California rivers, not really wide. They don't have a big current. They're not very deep. But they're deep enough. And so we get to a river, and I'm like, great, we got to turn around and find a bridge. He goes, no, we don't have to turn around and find a bridge. Four-wheelers float. When you're less than 150 pounds, four-wheelers do actually float. I've tried this as an adult. It doesn't work when you're over 150 pounds. But when you're under 150 pounds, four-wheelers float. And I'm looking at them, I'm going, man, you must be smoking crack, you know. For, look, this 500-pound machine is going to go straight to the bottom if I try to go through this river. He goes, just do it. It'll float. I was ahead of him. Just do it. It's going to float. It'll be fine. Because Th the trail, you know, well, there's the river, there's the trail, and the trail was on the other end. So I saw where we needed to go, but I'm like, I'm sorry. I ain't going to do this. I ain't going to ruin this four-wheeler. He goes, do you want me to do it? Oh, it's the shame every boy doesn't want to hear. But I'm like, fine. I'll watch you sink and then laugh at you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, I mean, sure enough, he goes, he floats, and he gets across the river. It's a little wobbly. You've got to balance, but he gets across the river, and he starts riding on the other side. He said, come on. Now, the funny thing is, even after I saw him do it, I still had doubts. 
That's what doubts are. You can see it with your own eyes. Jesus could stand in front of you and say, hello, I'm Jesus, and we'll still have doubts. Doubts are powerful, but they're also unreasonable because in your mind you know you've just seen it. I just saw a kid go across a river and float, and yet I'm still like, as I'm pushing the gas, you know. I don't think, I don't think, maybe he's going to float, but I'm not going to float. You know, you start doing all this stuff, but sure enough, it was a little wobbly, but I didn't sink. I went. I floated just a little bit, and, and the inertia pushed me to the other side of the river. He could have told me all day long that I wouldn't sink, but until I took that plunge into the river, until I made that step to get out of my comfort zone, I would have never experienced floating in the river with a four-wheeler. Sometimes in life, you just got to take the plunge. You got to go for it. Even if it's eyes wide shut, you got to go for it. Amen? When you talk to people about Jesus, it is always a supernatural conversation. When you talk to people, that's why it's awkward. That's why it's weird. That's why it feels vulnerable and intimate and, and all this kind of stuff. That's why, it's, that's why it's out of our comfort zone. Because the moment you start talking to anybody about your faith, about Jesus, about your church, about prayer, about the Bible, boom, the Holy Spirit is right there. Now, he's always been there, but I mean, he is there in such a unique way. Why? Because God has chosen to talk to the world through us. Now, are there like sovereign epiphanies of God before people? Yes, there are, but they're rare. The most common way God is going to spread the message of himself to the world is through the church, is through people, is through followers. So when you begin to speak to anybody in any way about Jesus, you watch and wait for it. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God is going right there in that moment, right there in that room. One time, this was kind of this was kind of like improper motives, but I <laughs> I went into a Starbucks and every table was clear. Uh, so, you know, I. I just kind of standing there. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go to another Starbucks. So I go up, and there is somebody I had faintly had an acquaintance with. And I start talking with them about Jesus very loudly and having my, I don't care. I don't care what people think of me when I talk about Jesus. Very loud me, it starts car- carrying over. Sure enough, right on target, the table right next to me cleared right out. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) You know, you start talking about Jesus and it can create an uncomfortableness. It can create an awkwardness. But all of that is, is it's the power of God's presence right there in that conversation. And this is what Jesus told his disciples. As you began to go and you began talking about me to people, your doubts are going to go away because you're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit meet you in that moment. Now, we could just come to church in our stained glass cathedrals and never have a conversation outside of the Christian world. You could. You'll never experience the power of God like he wants you to experience it. You'll never have that 
moment of faith where you're in an awkward situation where you're talking about God and he's there in the conversation and you feel it and you know it. Had Jesus' disciples just decided to have a holy huddle, we wouldn't have a church like we have today. It was only after they decided to sort of set aside their doubts and go out and begin telling people, hey, there's this person called Jesus. He loves you and he died for you. Hey, there's this thing called the church he started. It's his presence here on the earth. Come to it. And I promise you, you're going to feel God's peace. Amen? Jesus seemingly ignored their doubts. The Scripture says some doubted. Jesus says, fine, let's go with that. It's almost as Jesus is saying, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, don't worry about anything. Don't even worry about your doubts. Just go and make disciples, and in your going, your doubts will disappear. And I think that's exactly what happened. Nothing dispels doubts like speaking up for Jesus. I'll say it again. Nothing dispels doubts like when you speak up for Jesus and speak in his name. You get into that arena and your doubts will begin to disappear. Now, we can try to use advanced modern evangelism techniques. I mean, they have whole school seminaries and classes that have been developed to try to help people get rid of their doubts. But that's not what happens here. Jesus doesn't sit for five days on that mountain and debate the resurrection with the doubting disciples because it doesn't work. Debates do not dispel doubt. Sit me down with most people and I could give you an arsenal of information about why Christianity is true, why God is real, and why the power of the Holy Spirit is effective. But the fact of the matter is, information doesn't always dispel doubts, but an encounter with the Holy Spirit will. So often when people have doubt and they say, can you help me with this? Yeah, I'll talk if you want to talk, but really what I'd like to do is pray for you because it's in that moment where God meets us in the moment that those doubts can be dispelled. Mark 16, 17, which is in the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark, reads, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In other words, the power of the Holy Spirit goes with us as we began to do stuff in Jesus' name. You'll never know if Jesus is real. You'll never know if Jesus is with you. You'll never know if it's all true until you go out and do something in Jesus' name, until you go out and do something in God's name. And then you'll begin to see and experience just how true it is. Exactly how are 11 men going to disciple the nations? That's a pretty big task, especially when some still doubted. And Jesus is obviously saying, look, you're not totally up for this, but I am. I can fill in the gaps. I can be the power and the wisdom you need. Jesus is not saying to the church or to any one of us, okay, it's all up to you. He's not saying that at all. In fact, if he was saying that, then the whole Christian movement would have died within his first few years. What Jesus is saying is this, you do the talking, I'll do the rest. You talk, I'll move. You say it, I'll be the power behind it. And then, in case they really didn't understand, he adds at the very end, and surely 
I am with you always to the very end of the age. People have always asked me, well, why doesn't Jesus say, I'll be with you forever? Well, we know Jesus will be with us forever, but Jesus is talking about a specific period of time in our existence where we can talk to people in the name of the kingdom of God. At the end of the age, there will be no more need for evangelism. What you did is what you did. So, you know, Jesus is talking very strategically on the mountain here right before he's about to leave. And he's essentially saying, no matter how far you go, how long it takes, or what needs to happen, I will be with you. And you will experience me the most when you go and do something in my name. And by the way, I'm using talking because I'm asking everybody here to talk and invite people to church, to the fall festival. You know, that's why we're gathering these candy bags. Please start bringing candy bags if you can. We want every, everybody who comes to go home with some candy, <laughs> the healthiest thing on earth, right? So, uh, you know, I uh, know. <laughs> hey, one season a year, you know, we can handle a little bit of candy. But anyway, uh, you know, in this context, if you were to look at Matthew 28 in a nutshell, it's this. I have all the power. I'm with you wherever you go. Now go, and you will see that I truly am with you and truly am powerful. And there, and there it is. If you have a discussion sheet, you can go ahead and flip it over, and we'll just fill in those real quick, and then I have something for you before you leave. Point number one is this. Nothing dispels doubt like speaking up for Jesus. Even if you're not one of those pushy Christians, even if you're not one of those Christians who believes that you should rock the boat and you know, there's a lot of people, they live by a creed. I never talk about religion and politics. Jesus, by the, by, just so you know, Jesus doesn't believe in that creed. But I understand that creed can create a wonderful comfort zone, you know. If you never talk about religion and politics, then you're never really talking about some of the things that really matter. <laughs> so, you know, so nothing dispels doubt like speaking up for Jesus. Now, if you ever talk about politics for the rest of your life, that's fine. But when it comes to talking about Jesus... This is where we're going to encounter and experience so much of our purpose in life and the power of God through our life in those conversations. Now, some people will say, well, what if people ask me a question that I can't answer? What if people ask me a question that I can't answer? They will. They will. Say, I don't know. You don't have to lie and say, you know, people ask me questions. I've been doing this full time for almost 25 years. I still say, I don't know. That's a good one. I haven't asked that one yet. I don't have to think about that. Doesn't mean that all of Christianity is wrong because me as a nearly 50-year-old person, that I'm saying that because that's not a lot of time existing, doesn't know the answers to everything an eternal God may have written in the Bible. So what if people ask me a question I can't answer? They will. I don't know. What if they get angry at me? Well, it's, trust me, people are going to get angry at you for a lot of different things over the course of your life. 
It's bound to happen sooner or later. Better for them to get angry at you because you're trying to tell them about the most awesome guy in the world <laughs> than to get angry at you because you cut them off in the parking lane, right? You know? <laughs> Another question I get is, well, what if I forget what I'm supposed to say? Or what if I start fumbling my words? It happens to all of us. Happens to all of us. And you just have to have faith to say, you know what? Even though you're forgetting what to say and fumbling over your words, the Holy Spirit is there in that moment. And even if you don't explain it perfectly or eloquently like Billy Graham, God's still going to use your faith. Amen? Now, here's another one. What if there are things about God that I struggle with? Here's where the rubber really meets the road. What if they're like, I don't understand why God lets bad things happen to good people. And you're like, yeah, I don't like that one either. That's a good answer. It's fair game to join people in their struggles. I have that all the time. You know, there are things where I'm like, I know. I struggle with that one too. I'm still working that one out. Doesn't nullify the whole faith. Doesn't mean that God is wrong. Doesn't mean that Jesus isn't still just or that, the, the, that God's way isn't the right way. It just means, yeah, I agree. That's a struggle for me. That, one, that one's really a, 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 that one gets me going as well. In fact, Jesus would probably say, yeah, I don't like that either. There are some things about life we all don't like, including God. There's a reason why he's tolerating it for now. But I mean, we all have that. So rather than being like, well, man, there's, I've got some hang-ups with God. Join people in it. Let, get those hang-ups worked out. Start dealing with some of those. Because you'll never know if Jesus is with you until you go and decide to do something in his name. Number two, some will respond and some won't. 82% of people will come to church if they are simply invited by a friend. 82% will come. That's pretty good odds. Four out of five people, eight out of 10 people, 16 out of 20. I can do this all day. <laughs> but you know, what we, you know what we don't talk about with that statistic? The 18% who won't. There are going to be some people. You could offer them prime rib. You could offer them a free haircut, friendly service, and tickets to the Super Bowl. They simply will not come. Some people just won't come. I remember when I was still in college and uh, I had to work at Starbucks. I'd have to. I chose to work at Starbucks because uh, it was close. It was good. And uh, I'm working there and it was around, it was around Christmas time and we had like a, ah, I don't know, it was like a work meeting. And while we were, you know, it, was like a, it was like a work holiday party or something like that. We are just kind of all talking and there's only like eight or nine of us there. And they're going around and they're talking about, you know, who they, what they believe in and how they find peace. And up in Washington, you got to understand, when you ask that question, you are going to get some of the strangest answers you will ever, ever imagine, you know. And so, I mean, some of these are the most bizarre New Age things, you know. And they bring out their crystals, you know, and and they're sniffing stuff and all, all this stuff, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, one guy is like, you know, he was literally, I mean, he was almost dry heaving over the fact that they cut down this tree in the middle of the forest, you know. And so, 
you get, I mean, it's real for these people. I, I, we can laugh, but I mean, it's, you know, I, I didn't laugh because it's, it's very real for them. They feel as deeply about that as I do about Jesus. So I, I, I didn't want to, but they finally get to me, and I'm like, well, um, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And boom, it set off a bomb in the room. Half of the people were like, that was awesome. That was bold. That's, and we became closer. The other half, and never talked to me again. I mean, unless it was Tom, go get a cup. Tom, make this drink. Tom, it was that. But there was never, I mean, it was just like I had said the worst sentence in the world, and they were not going to have anything of it. But the other half, I got a lot closer to. And what happened? I started inviting them to come to church. And some of them began to come to church. And so you got to be prepared for that. That's, some are going to come. Some won't. That's not our job to sift that out. That's God's job to sift that out. All we do is in the moment when people say, what is the answer for the peace you have within you? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number three. Focus on what you know, not what you don't know. Part of the reason I've been teaching this No, Not, Never series and I'm really trying to go over and go over because I'm trying to grind a central truth of the gospel so that we know it. No condemnation means that Jesus has forgiven us of all our sins because he died on the cross. Not forsaken means that God accepts us now. You never have to worry about being rejected by God. And never abandoned means that God is with us. He's not on Pluto somewhere, right? When you get those three things, if that's all you know, then that's what you know. But that's enough. That's enough right there. No, not never is enough to explain the gospel to somebody so that they can become a true follower of Christ. I remember, uh, you know, I, I was, when I was younger, I was talking with one of the campus pastors at my school and I remember bringing that up, like, you know, the, there, this one hang-up I have is that, man, you can find some really good people in the world that have some really bad things that happen to them. And I said, doesn't that hang you up too, you know? And, and the campus pastor was like this, you know, Tom, yeah, but the Bible shows me how to be forgiven. And if you just knew my life story, for me, my need for forgiveness is far greater than figuring out the answer as to why bad things happen to some good people. That all people can be forgiven trumps every life circumstance. And that was the greater answer for me that I needed. I looked at him and I said, man, that's a, that's a great Now, he has an answer. He only told me what he knew. He didn't try to tell me what he didn't know. Amen? And then finally, number four, it all begins with an invitation. And I want to finish with a parable of Jesus. It's a short one, but a story that Jesus showed to illustrate the power of invitation. Beginning in Matthew 22, verse 1, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who is giving a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call all of those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, 
saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared the dinner, uh, the oxen, the fattened calves, and they have all been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come, come to the feast. But they paid no attention to him. One went off to his farm. Another went off to his business. Finally, the king said to the servants, okay, if that's the way it's going to be, go out into the highways and byways and invite as many people as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. That's what God's asking us to do. We don't have to save the world. We don't save anybody. I don't save anybody. We just invite people. You can invite them to church if they want to come to church. Invite them to your home. Invite them to hear the message. They're like, nah, I've heard the message. I don't believe the message. I don't want the message. Please don't talk to this message. Okay, you did what you did. You said what you said. Jesus said, move on. But we're inviters. This parable, Jesus is saying, you're, you as my children, you're the inviters to the feast. And every Sunday here, we're having a feast. It's a love feast to love each other. It's a worship feast. Amen. It's a word feast because man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you go out there to the front room, it's a literal feast. And I know that, evidenced by the crumbs that's all over there on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> this, in two weeks, less than two weeks, in 13 days, we have an opportunity to invite people to one of the safest things our church will do. Just have fun. Come hear music. Get free food. Free little bags of candy. I mean, you got to win them, but let's face it, our activities aren't going to be that hard. Bounce houses for the kids. We're going to have a party. We're going to have exactly what this parable is. We're having a party. What I'm asking you to do, what I believe Jesus is asking you to do, is invite people to come to the party. Look around you. There are far too many empty blue chairs here. Far too many. It's time for us to get out of our comfort zone and get into the anointing zone and start simply doing what we're called to do, and that is invite people to the kingdom, invite people to the party. Amen? Amen.